Great question. <laughs> what if? Good to have you in worship. We're in uh, the book of Romans. We're in chapter 15, verse 14. If you'd like to turn in your Bible there this morning. Romans chapter 15. Uh, we have 51 people uh, going to Israel um, this week, and some of you are here going. Uh, we, we leave at 1130 uh, at night on Tuesday. Why do they make you fly all night? I don't know. Uh, and so we fly from here to Istanbul, uh, switch planes, then uh, fly, I don't know, an hour and a half down to Tel Aviv, and then we tour Israel for two weeks. It's going to be awesome. Uh, it's going to be transforming for many people. To, to actually walk on stones that Christ literally walked on, to see the topography that he saw, uh, to be on the Sea of Galilee that he was on many times in boats. Uh, just a transformative time. Uh, and so be, be in prayer for us as we go up on the Syrian border in the Bekaa Valley uh, and go all the way down south uh, near Gaza, all the things that we do. Uh, pray for our safety and, and pray for God to do great things. Uh, and if you are not going this trip because it booked up in a day, literally, uh, there's already, we only take 51 people, so there's already 30 people going next year. So if you'd like to go, uh, contact my secretary, Mary Ann, and tell her I'd like to be put on the list, and she'll know exactly what you're talking about. And, and save your shekels, okay? That's Israeli currency, in case you didn't know. It's good to have you. Uh, let's pray as we go to God's Word. God, uh, teach us today. Uh, how to more intimately walk with you, help us to embrace what the Spirit says to us, uh, and not to put up defenses, but to listen and to re reconnoiter uh, our spiritual lives to match up with your heading. And I pray for you to use the word powerfully in the lives of those who don't know you. You are the good shepherd, and uh, you will draw them as only you can do. And so we pray you to accomplish that today in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, Paul says some amazing things. Uh, one of the amazing things that uh, he has said is in the Philippians chapter 3, verse 17, as he's uh, getting ready to close out his letter to the Philippians, uh, he says this, and I find this absolutely stunning to say this. He says, brethren, join in following my what? My example. Follow my example. Observe those who walk according to the pattern that you have in us. This is amazing. Could you imagine if somebody ever came to you and said, uh, yeah, uh, could, you, could you explain to me how do you, how do you live the Christian life? Well, just follow me. Could you do that? I mean, could you be confident to tell someone else, just follow my example, and God's face would smile on that? I mean, was Paul totally arrogant when he said this? Was he in love with himself? No, no. He said this because it's true. It's true. He, he did follow Christ, and he, he was doing the disciplines of a great Christ follower. And so this is why we're still talking about Paul, because he lived out the faith. He didn't just talk about the faith. Uh, he, he lived it. He, he did it. Uh, when I was in high school, I had a, I had a coach uh, who uh, used to play for the California Angels, uh, and then he became a Green Beret in Vietnam, and so he became our coach when he got back from Vietnam, uh, and he was intimidating, uh, and he was a great baseball player, uh, and so I can remember a batting practice one day, I uh, rolled the cage out into the outfield, he got some guys to pitch, he wanted to see how we hit. Um, he was 198 pounds, five foot eight, no fat. And I would say at, at the time, probably 100 of those pounds were in his arms and neck and chest. <laughs> uh, it eventually shifted over the years before God called him home, but he was intimidating. And so I remember when he said, Get, jump in the cage and, and hit some balls. Let me see how you, you know, approach the ball. So you know, I'd done this for years. So I jumped in the cage and you know, hit some balls and thought I was doing okay. And so uh, he's you know, looking at me through the cage and he's, he's like, that's how you hit? 
And I'm like, yeah, and I've done quite well, you know, I'm, I'm okay. And he goes, nah, that's not how you're gonna hit. And let me show you how to hit. And so uh, when they're that large, you just kind of just let them do what they wanna do, right? Because I was about 180 pounds at the time, six feet, one. I'm shrinking in age, compression. Um, I found that out with the doctor the other day. He's like, you're not six foot one anymore. I'm like, why? But yeah, that's a whole other thing. That's called gravity. But anyway, um, so he jumped in the cage. He grabbed my 34-inch bat, and he said, I'm gonna show you how to hit the ball. I had played ball all of my life since five years old to that point. I mean, I played on all kinds of all-star games and things. So I'm like, what can this guy that used to play for the Angels show me? I have never seen a human hit a ball like that before. It was like violent. It was like an attack. It's like we all said, the cover should have come off the ball. It was just power like I had never seen before. And when he hit the ball, he just went, ah, like that, scared me. Like I didn't scream when I hit the ball. <laughs> He's screaming at the ball. And he, he, he hits a couple of pitches like that, just blistering line drives. We were all saying they were like, they would just shoot out of the outfield faster than any ball we'd ever seen leave the outfield. Then he hands me the bat and he goes, hit like that. And then he's, and I said, okay, 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 coach. And he goes, I tell you what, when you're on my team, you step in the box, he said, the pitcher should fear you. I'm like, okay, great. What was he doing? He was being Paul to me. I learned a lot about my spiritual walk by watching my coaches like that. Because he was like Paul to me. He was saying, hey, you can do this because I can do this. You can do this. Just follow my example. I had never hit like I hit that season. And it's because of the coach. I think that season I batted 5'10". I'd never done that. I think 4'12 was the highest I'd ever hit. It's just like I just stuck my bat out and boom. I hit the ball. Who was, who, what happened? Well, he was, he was showing me this is how you do it. So that when every single guy got into the box, he's telling you, remember, make them fear you. Attack the ball. What a great coach. This is Paul. Paul's like, follow my example. This is how you attack spirituality and do it for God. Now, what's interesting about preaching is when you are preaching, sometimes you come to passages and you're thinking to yourself, Sunday's always coming. I got to produce a message for God. And you look at a passage like this where he's basically telling the Romans goodbye and you must stop and ask yourself, how am I going to preach that? Because that's exactly what Paul's doing here. Uh, he's stepping in. He's like the coach. He's been motivating them. He's told them in the first eight chapters how a sinner becomes a saint, justification by faith in Jesus. Then he, told, he says, how does this apply to the Jews, the salvation of Jesus? Well, 9 through 11, chapters 9 through 11, about that. Then he spends chapters 12, 13, 14, 15, all the way to verse 13 to say, well, how do you take this new standing in Jesus and apply it to your life. It should change you. But then when you get to verse 14, he starts telling everybody goodbye. And so would you like the opportunity to preach this? It's like, how do you preach a goodbye letter to the Roman Christians? And so this is exactly what he does. So as I'm sitting analyzing that this week, I'm thinking of this and, and all of a sudden I'm like, well, well, this is like my coach. When my coach will come along and say, you know, uh, let me say some uh, parting words to you guys, but you're, you're analyzing those and you're thinking to yourself, well, this is why he's such a great coach. When I'm looking at Paul, I'm reading his words in chapters of you know, 15, verses 14 to the end of the book, chapter 16. I'm thinking, well, this is like a, a coach coming along inside and saying, hey, hit like I hit, but follow my example and you can learn from me. And I'm like, oh, aha moment. Because what I see here in this passage, verses 14 to 33, and we're only gonna cover verses 14 
15 and 16, um, are the earmarks of a great Christian. That's, that's what Paul says here. It's the earmarks of a great Christian because you're seeing a great hitter of God in how he does it by how he talks. So if you want to do uh, great things for God and be a great Christ follower, accomplish much, uh, move from being an infant Christian to a great godly Christian, well, what does that look like? Well, just follow Paul's example. He's like my coach stepping into the, into the, into the, the box and say, do, do this. So do what, Paul? So we're going to look at earmarks that we see in his life but the things that he says to the Romans as he closes out his letter to them. Verse 14, he's going to show them that a, a great growing Christian possesses a, what I would call a highly positive attitude. He's positive. He, it's not the coach looking at you going, that's all you got. That's all you can do. Man, you're, you're never going to be in the lineup. No, this is, this is the coach coming along and saying, I'm, I'm optimistic that there's something to work with here. Now, you might have come in here and you think that negativity is your spiritual gift. <laughs> Which is how I roll. Everything's negative. I'm, I'm a realist. No, you're a negativist. You know? So, which motivates better, negativism or positivism? Paul's going to say, hey, follow my example. I, I've had lots of coaches. I can tell you the ones that motivated me the best were the ones that were positive, not the ones who tore you down. I, my freshman year, when I went out for the football team, I weighed 122 pounds. You're kidding me. And they made me a linebacker. <laughs> Go figure. I mean, they just ran right by me. And I remember standing there on the fence with all the other guys thinking we're all that. And the coach, who was a former Marine DI, Vietnam era, comes walking by us, never smiled, never th saw him smile, buzzed haircut, the whole thing, high and tight. He looks at our whole team. And this is what he said to us. This is as big as you are. Do you think that was motivational? Uh-uh. No, it was not motivational. So Paul's going to, I'm not going to be negative. Paul says, I'm going to be positive with what I see. Harry S. Truman says this about being positive. See, he says, a, the, a pessimist is the one who makes difficulties of his opportunities. Boy, isn't that the truth? And an optimist is one who makes opportunities of his difficulties. Oh, yeah. Colin Powell, um, the great uh, leader, says, uh, military leader, he says, uh, perpetual optimism is a force multiplier. Now, I didn't learn that terminology at Dallas Seminary. I learned that from listening to military. Is a force multiplier in the Bible? Why are you so quiet? No. But is it true? Yeah, it's absolutely true. So the military has got it down. Uh, it, it, when you are positive, it's a force multiplier because people get excited that they think I can do more. They can do, I, I can do better, etc. cetera. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, executed by the Nazis for his opposition to Nazism uh, and his love of Christ, said this about optimism. And bear in mind the time in which he lived when he said these words. He writes this. He says, the essence of optimism is that it takes no account of the present, but it is a source of inspiration of vitality and hope where others have resigned. It enables a man to hold his head high, to claim the future for himself, and not to abandon it to his enemy. Wow. You think your days are evil and it's hard to be a Christian? Think of his day. What did he say? Oh, woe is me. I live under Hitler. No. He's like, no, I, I have a passion for Christ. Positive, positive spiritual leader. See, if you want to be a great leader in God's kingdom of, of others, whether high school students, children, men, women, whatever, uh, it, doesn't come, it doesn't come out of the negative side of things. It comes out of the positive side of things. Uh, does that mean, because I can just hear the negative person telling me, well, does that mean I can never be negative? Are you all negative? No, no, no. Read Jesus. Was Jesus ever negative? It's a softball question. And it's not 
No, he wasn't ever going to. Yes, he was negative. Uh, Matthew 23, when he castigates the Pharisees. That's the woe chapter. He castigates them. Uh, Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, there's sexual sin in the church. The leaders aren't addressing it. They're looking the other way. What's Paul do? If I was there, Paul writes in chapter 5, I would address this. So yeah, there's an opportunity for that and need for admonishment, but it shouldn't be all that or you decimate people. See, they erred on the side of optimism. So uh, Paul says, when I look at the Roman church, I'm optimistic about what I see there and I wanna motivate you. So he sees two things as their coach, as it were, where he sees that he needs to point out the great things that they're doing because he he's, hears about them because he's never been there. So he's listening to people like Aquila and Priscilla that we'll bump into in chapter 16 who live there, who are talking to Paul about how great the Roman church is. So Paul says, from what I've heard, I have two things that I need to be optimistic about. Number one, he's optimistic about their good behavior. That's what he says, verse 14. It says, concerning you, my brethren, notice the, the kind, gentle language that he uses. He says, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness. We'll stop right there. Uh, in fact, I almost just did my whole sermon just on that one phrase. You're full of goodness. Um, now, he says, I am convinced, uh, and he uses what we would call, we're a church that studies verbiage, are we not? Why in the world do we do that? Because it's inspired. So it, it matters most why God picked a certain verb, tense, etc., word, etc. Uh, why? So here he uses the perfect tense, not used much in Greek, and the, the perfect tense means a past act with an abiding result, which means uh, he really was convinced that these people, when it came to behavior that was godly, they did it. It wasn't even just thinking about it or they occasionally did it. He thinks, when I think of you, uh, I, I think about people that have just locked on to behavior that's stellar, that's godly. And he, he says, you are full of this. The Greek word mestoi uh, is used uh, in, of a, sometimes they say when you're doing word studies, look for how the word is literally used in the, in the, in the Greek culture. They, that word mestoi means to be a, a sponge that's dropped drop like into a bu bucket of water and it fills up the sponge. And he says, that, that's kind of like how you are when I think about you. You're full of what I would call goodness. Goodness. He said, let me praise, praise you for that. Well, what do you mean, Paul, by goodness? That particular uh, Greek word uh, means two things. Uh, it means internal moral goodness, moral thinking, which then by definition, ipso facto, leads to external moral goodness. He says, this is what I see in you. The word has both those connotations lexically. Internal goodness, if my heart and my mind are thinking of holy things and being in pursuit of that which is holy, Romans 12, one and two, then that will lead to godly action. Where's our culture at today? The opposite of that. See, they praise external godless behavior. Where'd that come from? Internal godless thinking. Paul says, no, when I think of you Romans, it's the opposite of that. I find saints who are, well, when I see you, uh, I know I'm gonna see the goodness, but I hear about the goodness, and I know that external goodness that I hear about has to come from an internal heart that is in love with Christ and wanting to do the right thing. So I have to stop and ask myself as a pastor, is my church like the Roman church? Is this church full of internal and external moral goodness? Well, I mean, of course it is. I mean, absolutely it is. I hear about it constantly, but of, the, of the kind of people that you are, like the things that you do. So you're, from what I see and from what I hear, people of your word. 
Uh, and that's godly. You're a people of your word. In a culture where people are not people of the word, uh, you are fair with people in your business dealings because you're godly. Uh, you are honest as the day is long. Why? Because, well, that's a sign of internal holy thinking. Um, when it comes to moral parameters, you're absolute. Why? Because moral principles never change. So you hang on to them no matter what the culture is doing. That's a sign of internal moral godly growth. Um, you've stepped in and, and paid for people. I've heard the stories. People are struggling, struggling financially, whether it's a, a single mother or whoever. You step in and you've got the means you help. See, this is all signs of godly growing behavior. When, you, when, a, when a, uh, a senior citizen can't see anymore at nighttime and is afraid to drive and you pick them up to take them to Bible studies and things, this is godly behavior. I mean, the list is endless. Like I have a whole page of things that I've seen and heard. So for me as your pastor, I want to be positive and extol you. What Paul is saying to the Romans, I could easily say to this church, because in a very godless environment, you're very godly. Doesn't mean we're perfect, but, but there's much here to say, way to go. I mean, way to pursue God. Way to do great things for God. Um, we've had people here that you have an extra car, somebody needs a car, you give them, you have a car, you give them your car. You're listening to a waitress uh, explain her story to you while you're talking to her as a person. And a uh, you know, $20 bill and you leave her another 20 as a tip. Why? Because you want to minister to her because she's having a hard time, etc. I mean, the list is endless. See, this is being the hands and feet of Christ. Paul says, uh, that's the kind of church you are in Rome. Uh, I want to extol you. See, it's optimistic thinking, not negative thinking all the time. I used to do prison ministry in a youth prison before I came here, did it for years. Uh, and uh, I was in the felon ward. That was fun. Uh, they were in there for you name it, 18 years old and younger, in there for attempted murder, etc. I've met them all over years. One day, uh, and they got to know me very well uh, because, uh, you know, they weren't going anywhere. So, um, <laughs> and we always had fun. And I would always, after I would teach them, I'd always sit around and talk to them. Uh, and one time I, I formed him, when I first started doing this, I formed him into a big circle and I stood in the middle uh, and the guards in the booth went crazy. They did. And I'm like, what is their problem? So this like six foot six guard came out. He's like, well, what are you doing? And I'm, I'm teaching in the middle of a circle. Man, that's not here. I'm like, well, why? He goes, you're surrounded by felons. If something happens, we can't get to you. And I told him, you know, you need to relax. They're going to be Okay. They never bothered me. The guards did, always freaking out, but the, but the felons didn't. But one day I was talking to the felons and there was one I knew in there uh, very well. Uh, he was in a, uh, I think it was a Norteños uh, Hispanic gang, uh, a bad boy. And uh, so I knew him and uh, they had a new guy arrested. And so we were sitting there afterward, I'm counseling the new guy, uh, how to know God, how to walk with God. And he wants to get his life together. And the older criminal is sitting next to him. And everything I would say, he would say the opposite. Like I'd say positive, he'd say negative. Everything. So after a while, I kind of had enough of that. So I looked at the, you know, the negative older criminal. And I said to him, Enrique, ¿qué pasó? What are you doing? What's up with you? <laughs> his reply, I'm helping you, man. I said, you're helping me? I'm like, how are you helping me? He goes, I'm using reverse psychology on this criminal. <laughs> That's what he told me. I'm like, it's not working. <laughs> See, so I'm just want to reemphasize, if you're like Enrique today, just drop that at the door. See, Paul's like, I need to extol you because I see the goodness in you and I want to camp on that. Second, Paul said, I'm optimistic about your knowledge. 
You're biblically smart. So what, notice what he says, verse 14. You, uh, I myself am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness and filled with all knowledge and, and able to admonish one another. You know, that's, that's the negative side of things. If I know spiritual things, then when I, when I see that's not, that which is not spiritual in someone's life, when I see a compromise, when I see someone flying close to the, the flame, they're gonna sin. I mean, admonishment is, hey, I love you enough to say, hey, don't, don't fly there or stop doing that, etc." But Paul says, I, when I look at this church, I, it's filled with knowledge. So does that mean they knew everything about all disciplines? Astronomy, physiology, no, he's not talking about that. He's talking about spiritual knowledge, that they're very attuned to spiritual knowledge. Okay, so how do you get spiritual knowledge? You don't know? You read the Bible, thank you, thank you. You read the Bible. And then, and then you gain that knowledge, you apply that to your life, and he said, that's the kind of Christians you are. You know the word of God. <laughs> drop them in Genesis, they know the story of Joseph. I mean, drop them, drop them in Judges, they know the story of Samson. I mean, drop, drop them in, in uh, Chronicles, they, they know what it's talking about. Drop them in the book of Numbers, no, they've studied it. D drop them in Ephesians, they know the doctrine of predestination and election, they can talk about it. These are, these are mature Christians. And Paul says, I extol you for your knowledge. Because see, the, the last thing the devil wants is a church that actually teaches the word of God and believes it. That's the last thing he wants. See, this is the church smack dab in the middle of the Roman Empire. And Paul says, what a great church. You love the word of God and you're living the word of God. When I came here to candidate uh, almost 12 years ago now, I flew out here from California. I flew out several different times uh, to talk to the church leadership, etc. So I was basically interviewed by anybody and everybody and I interviewed them. Because I wanna know, is, I've been at my last church 19 years. Do I wanna go to the East Coast? Do I wanna go to DC? I mean, I don't know anybody there. And so we came out. And the last thing that we did after being interviewed by everybody was, they had a little thing where they told my wife Liz and I to come to the youth odd. We'll invite the entire church to come and they'll in, the church will interview you as the last interview. My wife's like, I, I, I don't like to go on the stage. And I'll, honey, you just sit in this stool. I'll sit in the other stool. I'll hold the mic and I'll just field the questions. And it can't be that bad. <laughs> were you there? How many were there? None of you were there? You're all new? Oh, praise God. Okay, I'll tell you what happened. <laughs> And I'm thinking to myself, you know, I sat before a, a board of the greatest Old Testament scholars at Dallas Seminary when I was 27 with a Hebrew Bible and Hebrew lexicon and had to field questions before that board to get into the PhD program in Hebrew. So I'm thinking to myself, how hard can it be to field questions from people in DC? <laughs> it's worse. So eight hours. That's what I did. <gasps> eight hours of questions. I sat on that stool with my wife, eight hours. Question after question after question after question. It was unbelievable. So I got on the plane and we, we debriefed. So what did you think about those people? <laughs> they are serious. I mean, they are serious about the word of God. So we're flying at 30,000 feet having this discussion, you know, debrief about that church. And I'm thinking to myself, that's a church I want to pastor. I mean, if they are in the smack dab middle of the belly of the beast, as it were, <laughs> you can do something with the church that loves the word of God. And so we came and it's been awesome because it's still a church that loves the word of God. Again, what did I tell you? The, Dave, the, the devil hates. 
people that know the word of God, know how to apply it to life, know, know, know how to push back evil, know how to, they can count, counter falsity, uh, and, they, and they live that in a transformative way. That's what he hates. Well, this is the kind of church uh, in love with the word of God. Uh, and it's a pleasure to pastor you. Does it mean we know everything about the word of God? No, it's job security for me. Uh, there's much more to learn. Paul says, let me uh, point to you, uh, in addition to that positive thing, so the point being, if you're growing up in the faith, you should be positively pointing people to the great things in their life. Is that you? And if you're sitting there going, man, I just always, I always look for the negative things and I just, I just find that nerve and I just park on that. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about God help me to see the positive things in the saints around me so I can build them up. Number two, if you're growing up in the faith, as Paul was, the second earmark is you will possess what I would call a powerful calling, meaning you know why you're here. It's a calling from God. Notice what he says, verse 15. It says, I have written very boldly to you uh, on some points so as to remind you again because of the grace that was given to me from God. He said, I, I'm just really telling you mature Christians in, in, uh, in Rome about the great doctrine of justification by faith followed by sanctification. I, you already know about this. I'm just boldly taking you to another level. But he said, I need to kind of share with you my calling. Because remember, the church is predominantly Gentiles. So he says in verse 16, uh, he says, this was given to me from God, this message, this ministry, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, to ministering as a priest, the gospel of God, the good news of the death and burial and resurrection of Christ, so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. He said, your church is predominantly Gentiles. Paul, if you would have stopped and asked him, hey, Paul, how, did your life go as planned? No, no. You know, I'm born a Jew, you know, became a Pharisee, became a rabbi, became, a, uh, you know, a doctorate in the Torah. And, you know, hey, I was going to be a, I was going to shepherd Israel. And, he's, and I had a huge problem with Gentiles, the Goyim, because, you know, especially the Jews who, you know, embraced Jesus. And I, I had to eradicate that false teaching. And then, and, and then Gentiles, hey, not even in my purview, not, not even in my plan. What happened? For, first, let me ask you, has your walk this, so far in your life gone exactly like you planned? Has God thrown you the proverbial curveball and that you ended up doing what you're doing? And you, I had no idea. No, I, I didn't plan to preach. That was not my goal. It's a, when God takes you and gives you his calling, uh, it's a great thing. Paul says, God saved me. He said, that same Messiah that I, I rejected, you, we all know what happened. He ran into him on the road to Damascus, the risen Lord, the blinding light and the voice from Christ himself, Paul, Paul, or Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He got saved. You know, you could say that his calling was a profound calling to go in a direction he did not plan. He had no plan to go after the Gentiles. I had no plan to come to DC. I had no plan to be a shepherd. I had all plans to be a professor. But then what does God do when he gives you a calling? Well, you know in your heart, I gotta go do that, right? I gotta do that. I've had a lot of people ask me like divine call. I mean, how do you know? Because if you know Christ, Within, it's all about what's my call, God? What do you want me to do? If you've never asked God, show me what you want me to do. Give me the call. It's not some thing where you get a telephone call or a text message. Hey, this is God. I don't know what you're doing right now, but drop everything. You know, get off the Twitter right now and just listen. It's not gonna come like that. You're not gonna probably hear trumpets and the scroll, the sky opens like a scroll and, and an angel descends. It's not gonna probably be like that, but it's that inner mystical thing where God speaks to your spirit and you just know, I know why I am created. 
uh, when I was 12. I got saved at nine when I'm 12. Uh, I love the word of God. I read it all the time. It, it just fed my soul. And when I got to be 12, I, I was feeling like God wanted me to do something. And, uh, and so one night, some missionaries came over our house after church for uh, dessert. And I cornered them in, at the front door when they got, I'm 12. And, th and this is what I asked them. I stopped and I said, hey, I, I hear that you are, you know, you, you as a couple are very academic uh, from what I hear from people in the church. Uh, can I ask you a question? And they said, yeah, little boy, like, what do you want to, what? And I said, well, I'm kind of feeling God wants me to do something. I'm feeling like, like to teach the word of God or something like that. What, where would I go to seminary? They, they went like, huh? You know, and, I, and they said, well, uh, interesting you would ask. They said, if, if, if we were you, we would, we would send you to Dallas Theological Seminary. If you want to be a professor, that's the greatest school to go to. Okay. I planned my entire life to that end. I mean, if you stopped me in high school and said, why are you taking four years of German? I'm taking four years of German to get a PhD in Greek to teach Greek. That's why I was doing it. But did my life go as planned? Mm -mm. Not at all. I mean, not a, a special needs child sent me in a whole nother direction. I mean, when I got into that PhD program, it's either a PhD or my family. You, which one do you think I picked? Family. And God says, let me throw you a curveball with a special needs child. Let me break your heart and humble you and send you in a whole nother direction. This is how God works. And so when you're looking for the plan of God, God, what is, what is your call upon my life? What do you want me to do? I, I, I don't think I'm doing it. Well, start asking him. He'll show you. And then start coming up to next to godly people like I did as a young man and saying, do I have the gift to teach? Can I communicate the word of God? Do you see God giving me the ability to do this? Uh, before I went to college at Azusa Pacific University, an old lady named Mrs. Reynolds came up to me one day after church. She handed me a book that I still have. It's an old tattered book, little tiny book, and it's called My Surrendered Life. And she handed that to me. She said, young man, as you go away to school, never forget the words of this book. I read that book. What was that book about? Humble yourself before God. Follow hard after him. Yield to him at all times. To follow his call. Surrendered life. Have you surrendered your life totally to Christ as a saint? See, a growing Christian is not only optimistic about the faith of others. He looks at his faith and says, God, you saved me, but for what? What is your calling on my life? Show me. You get alone with God today sometime and ask him. He's going to show you. And then it's going to be awesome as he points you in the direction he wants you to go. You yield to him. Let's pray. God, thank you. Just for the life of Paul, much to learn, even in parting words to saints. Thank you for such a great man of God. Uh, his shoes are so big to fill, but might we step into them and be used of you uh, like he was used in a profound way. In Jesus' name, amen.